This is a Dynamike Network podcast. Welcome to the Senjo World Podcast, a weekly show that sees two anime characters face off in stat-based battles. And now hail to the Prince of Anime Battles, Zack Senjo. Hello, and welcome back. This is Season 2 of Senjo World, and this is going to be a pretty big season. I made a couple of changes to the podcast, as you'll see as we continue on, but this season have quite a few guests, returning guests, a couple new guests, so this is going to be a fun season, and we have definitely have some heavy hitters in the lineup, so be excited for that, and yeah, and so, so this week, the two characters that I am bringing to the battle are Guts from Berserk, and Guts is renowned as the Black Swordsman. He is a former mercenary and branded wanderer who travels the world in constant internal struggle between pursuing his own ends and upholding his attachments to those dear to him. And his story is pretty sad, so we'll get into that in a little bit. But he will be going up against Claire from Claymore, and she is a female Claymore, and the organization's number 47 of the 150th generation. She is the main protagonist of the series. She is the only known Claymore to have taken the flesh and blood of a fellow Claymore rather than that of a Yoma, making her one-fourth Yoma as opposed to the half Yoma like most other warriors. This was allowed as an experiment to create a stronger warrior. However, the experiment was considered a failure as Claire was seemingly weak. She was subsequently assigned the lowest rank of number 47. Despite this, through both her own efforts and the help of others, Claire eventually obtains a significant level of power and became one of the first partially awakened beings. And Claire also kind of has a sad story. Both of these characters are quite dark and they basically, you know, have to fight these demons, essentially. Guts, not so much, but more so later on in the, the manga. But both of these characters use big swords, right? Guts has, you know, his classic giant sword, and Claire uses a quite large claymore that she can easily swing around with one hand. So, this is essentially Battle of the Big Swords. So, so before we get into the characters' backgrounds and powers and abilities, I'm gonna start a little segment that I'm gonna wanna call Scroll Check. And Scroll Check is essentially just gonna be me reviewing a show that I've watched the previous week. So every week, except if I have a special guest, I'm going to review a show 
And yeah, and this segment's just going to be called Scroll Check. So yeah, so in the coming couple of weeks, I'll probably have a drop and you'll just hear, you know, scroll check or something like that. So that's what it is. I'm just going to be reviewing shows like I used to do on my old podcast. With that being said, this week, I'm actually going to be reviewing the Yu Yu Hakusho live action. First initial thoughts, the show, it's not a bad show. The issue with it is that it's not necessarily Yu Yu Hakusho. It's kind of its own thing, right? They use the characters, they use the same premises, but the show, like the live action show is essentially its own thing. And that's why I'm kind of like iffy on how I really feel about it because it's Yu Yu Hakusho, but it's not Yu Yu Hakusho. And they really did change so much. Like they cut out so much and jammed, I think it's almost like 45 episodes into five episodes so you can imagine how that really plays out so with that being said let's do a quick little episode breakdown so in the first episode yusuke gets hit by a car as he normally does and we see all the funeral and kuwabara and we meet all the characters and everything and this is basically where we get introduced into the concept of these yokai right and I don't know, like I said, it's a kind of its own thing, it did its own thing, but again, all the action was, was really well done, the effects were really great, the spirit gun didn't look as cheesy as I thought it was gonna, and yeah, essentially, first episode just introducing everything, giving you the concept of what the show is for the people, I guess, who've never seen Yu Yu Hakusho. First episode wasn't too, too bad. Second episode, this is where we get introduced to the three yokai that go to steal these super dangerous objects the mirror the knife and some sort of like orb that absorbs spirits this was fairly similar to how it went down in the anime again they changed it did their own thing but we do get introduced to Hiei and Kurama and the other dude then i forget his name but he's kind of useless they kind of kill him off pretty quickly and they also changed how ea gets his g-gun eye so essentially this knife he had that supposedly grants whatever the wielder wants he cuts his forehead and gives himself the third eye so i don't know it's kind of stupid that concept i definitely prefer the original where you know he's sees this you know demon surgeon and gets the eye that way but it is what it is again the animation the action is, is it's really good so so essentially yusuke you know defeats the big guy gets the orb back releases the souls into all the children because he liked to kill children and stuff that's what it was and he gets the orb releases it and everything and oh i guess i did forget to mention how the anime definitely like cut out all like the smoking and everything like Yusuke you know he was a badass kid so he would sit up on the roof of the school smoking cigarette and so the live action show brought that all right back and I was like yes love it but smoking's bad kids so and that's basically the second episode the third episode this is where we see more of Hiei and Karama and Yusuke helps out Karama Right, Kurama gives him the mirror back, they save Kurama's mom, just like in the anime. Then we get 
the start of the Hiei story, right? And, you know, he cuts himself and, you know, gives himself the, the eye. And I think it's called the Jigen eye. I could be wrong. But he gives himself this eye and he starts, like, searching for his sister. So, as you can see, if you're familiar with the original, they kind of go off and, and do their own thing, you know? So, and that's pretty much the third episode. In the fourth episode, Yusuke has gone to train with Genkai, and they really, like, finessed Genkai. Like, you see Genkai for like two seconds, she's not as cool, and then all of a sudden, to Togoro ends up just killing her off screen. So, I'm pretty sure that's not how it happens at all in the actual anime, but they kind of just jump through it very quickly. Yusuke gets his power up right off the bat. They cut out the tournament, right? The dark tournament and all of that and that whole saga, which I'm kind of upset about because it's like part of the... That's one of my favorite parts of Yu Yu Hakusho is the tournament aspect. They're basically constantly in tournaments. So they cut out all of that. And in the fourth episode, they end up going to the island where Hiei's sister is captured and... Basically, you know, they fight their way through, and again, like I said, they kind of this they kind of mixed up the dark tournament, like the final fight with Tagoro's team, and and they did it on this island instead. So Kurama still fights the dude that can make explosions and stuff, and you know, again, like I said, the fight was really well done and everything. It's just not how it actually happened. So again, they did their own thing, following the same premise, I guess. Pa ends up fighting the big dude in all the armor and you know the dragon looked amazing the battle damaged arm he seems a lot more damaged in the live action than he ever did in the actual anime but he's a demon so he'll probably heal up quick like he does so that's pretty much the fourth episode right as they travel through and the end kubara ends up like starting the fight with the older tagoro this guy who can like change his body shape and he's uh, he's he's very creepy. I mean, he looks very weird. It's, they did some weird video thing where they, you know, took a regular man and, and shrunk him down and made him look like a small person. So it looks kind of weird, but you know, that basically is what he is. And then you get the final episode and Yusuke comes face to face with Tagoro. They have their, you know, big fight and essentially Yusuke beats Tagoro and saves the day and Koenma is also never a baby in this one, which to be honest, I don't really have too much of a problem. Like the only baby I care for is Reborn. So they made Koenma like an adult. So I was fine with that. And essentially too, the whole premise of the show was one of the rich guys, I forget his name at the moment, but his goal was to kind of open a, a hole and mix the, the real world and the demon world. I can't remember if that's what he was trying to do in the anime. I don't think he was, but it is what it is. That was the plan. So Koenma and the guy made a deal that if Yusuke wins, you know, he'll close the port, like the hole and, you know, Yusuke wins. So they close the hole. And that's essentially the five episodes of Yu Yu Hakusho. And like I said, they essentially squished 45 episodes into these five episodes and they cut out a lot. And 
also too the connection between yusuke and kuwabara was a little bit weird because they're fighting you know the the day before and then the next day they're just like hey you want to get ramen and yusuke's like yeah sure right and then they go off together so that's kind of odd in my eyes right like they kind of missed the whole like kuwabara and yusuke you know kind of connecting and actually becoming friends but Again, like I said, they were doing their own thing, right? So it's Yu Yu Hakusho, but it's not Yu Yu Hakusho. And overall, I would, I say, like I, like I said, the season is, it's not terrible, but it's just not Yu Yu Hakusho. If they continue it on, I'd like to see where they go, right? I was expecting a more true adaptation, kind of like the Full Metal Alchemist. Uh, movie series right or the Rionin Kenshin series right those were really well done and quite faithful to the you know core material so let's see where they go with season two if they get a season two not too sure but all I can say was it was decent it was no one piece live action I can say that much but the effects and everything were, were well done I'll give them that so Overall, I would probably give this series like a 6 out of 10. Like, it's hard to go any higher. It's just not Yu Yu Hakusho. So, but yeah, so with that out of the way, let's jump into our characters, backgrounds, and abilities. And let's start off with Claire. Claire's parents were killed by a Yoma impersonating her brother. When the Yoma attempted to rape Claire, an unnamed Claymore killed the Yoma, but another Yoma captured Claire, forcing her to travel with him as cover and a toy. Scars on her body indicated abusive behavior. Claire's suffering shut her down emotionally, and she became a mute as a result. But still, another Claymore would come into her life. At the village of Theo, Claire is being held by a group of seven Yoma. Teresa arrives and kills all seven. When Claire sees Teresa, she sees the same pain in Teresa's eyes as she herself has endured. Empathizing with Teresa, she tries embracing her despite Teresa's rejections. Afterwards, she follows Teresa through the wilderness. After falling from a cliff, Claire passes out from dehydration and Teresa finally allows her to follow. Teresa's naming of Claire somehow corresponded with Claire's real name. After Teresa successfully thwarts an attack by a bandit, Claire manages to regain her ability to speak and explains to Teresa about her feelings. Teresa kills a Yoma at the town Rokut. She leaves Claire with a couple willing to take her in and raise her. But the Yoma was protecting the town from bandits, who now attack. Teresa returns when Claire regains consciousness. Teresa has killed most of the bandits, thus marking herself for death. Because Claymores are not allowed to kill normal people, so they have some pretty strict rules, I guess because, you know, they're part Yoma, so they kill humans, they're no different. So yeah, Teresa deserts the organization. She and Claire go into hiding. Teresa is targeted for death. The organization sends Priscilla, Irene, Noel, 
and Sophia to decapitate her. Teresa defeats the hit squad and escapes with Claire, but they are pursued by Priscilla. Priscilla had a most difficult time of letting Teresa go and chasing her later with more experience and higher chances because she began mixing her own personal tragedy with Teresa being a felon, which caused her great ire. Priscilla and Teresa fight while Claire looks on. During the battle, Priscilla releases more and more yokai in an effort to beat Teresa. Because Priscilla is young and inexperienced, she unintentionally passes the point of no return. Priscilla seems to realize what is happening to her and stops fighting Teresa. She asks that Teresa kill her. Teresa lowers her guard and agrees to kill Priscilla to prevent her from fully awakening. As Teresa readies the killing blow, Priscilla strikes beheading Teresa. Once Priscilla leaves, Claire takes Teresa's head and searches for a member of the organization. She finds Ruble and demands Teresa's flesh and blood be put in her. Claire joins the organization to avenge Teresa and meets Elena, befriending her and relying on her for support during their painful hours of transformation. In her final test, Kit Claire battles with an old rival in a ruined town. Among all the trainees, Claire is the only one who senses the Yoma. She saves the injured rival, kills the Yoma, and obtains the rank of number 47. At the end of the series, with the battle over, Teresa bids farewell to a crying Claire, telling her that she will always be inside her, and how Claire's strong feelings made it possible for her to defeat Priscilla. She asks for a final hug, which Claire, reverting back to her child form, tearfully obliges. Teresa then departs and Claire re-emerges back to the battlefield. Remembering Teresa's words, Maria, Helen, Denise, and Yuma congratulate Claire by patting her head much to her embarrassment. Rocky gives her his thanks and she tells him that they will all continue living on. Claire was last seen walking with Rocky in a valley. She tells him of a person who evaded death due to her stubbornness and who she owes a great debt to. Seeing Irene with her arm regenerated, she says she won't have to repay her debt anymore and begins to tell her of all the things that happened in the past seven years. Claire's powers and abilities are superhuman physical characteristics, analytical prediction, extrasensory perception, excellent swordsmanship, martial arts, yokai manipulation, regeneration, longevity, berserk mode, transformation, can soul link with Teresa allowing her to awaken Teresa inside of her. She has a resistance to poison manipulation and she is able to enhance her physicals with yokai and then she can also suppress it reverting back to normal which makes her very special and that is claire's background in powers and abilities so yeah claire is uh she's pretty cool again she is pretty sad story everybody around her just consistently dies she makes friends they die and then she finally, you know, gets a group of friends and they're more so like acquaintances, but they, you know, grow closer and they 
fight and you know continue on up until I guess like the near the end of the series and you know a few of her friends are still alive and she finally gets her revenge for you know her mentor so yeah she's pretty cool but um so the character that she's going up guts also has a quite a messed up backstory uh to say the least he goes through some shit i guess <laughs> you could say but yeah so let's get into his background guts was born from the corpse of his lynched mother underneath a hanging tree where he was left to die alone in a mire of blood and afterbirth a mercenary group led by a man named gambino eventually happened upon the grizzly site presuming the infant to be dead when the baby began wailing to the surprise of the mercenaries and an acquaintance of Gambino's, Shisu, and immediately took to the child and came to its aid. Gambino allowed the woman to keep guts for her own personal consultation, despite the circumstances of guts' birth being considered ominous by his cohorts. Three years later, guts' surrogate mother contracted the plague, dying as he watched on. Under Gambino's tutelage, Guts began honing his swordsmanship at six years of age and joined the mercenaries band three years later at nine years old. Looking up to his leader as a father figure of sorts, on the night following Guts' first skirmish, a mercenary named Donovan ambushed and raped him in his tent, revealing he bought the boy for a night from Gambino. In a following skirmish, the young mercenary isolated Donovan and eliminated him, refusing to believe the man's claims from the previous night. When Gambino lost his leg in battle, his relationship with Guts immediately deteriorated from verbal to physical abuse. Guts was subjected to various forms of degradation for two years following Gambino's injury, before Gambino eventually made an attempt on his life. Possessed of the notion Guts was the reason for his misfortune, Gambino revealed he did indeed sell Guts out to Donovan, voicing his disgust for the boy's existence. Heavily disheartened by this revelation, Guts retaliated and killed his assailant in self-defense, the closest thing to a father he had ever known. Consequently, attacked by Gambino's men and branded a father killer, he fled with aggressors on his tail, eventually running into a dead end and being shot off a cliffside. From his high fall and his bout with a pack of wolves below, he fell unconscious, eventually being discovered and enlisted as a child soldier in another mercenary band that happened upon him. As a result of being on the losing side of battle, Guts and his fellow mercenaries were captured and intended to work as laborers for their captors. On their way to the castle, they were to help construct. Guts met a man named Martino who aided and befriended the injured young mercenary on their trek, even seemingly helping him escape. Martino instead used Guts' escape attempt as a decoy to make his own, leaving as the guards recaptured the boy later imprisoning Guts in a frigid cell. In his cell, the young mercenary met the forlorn spirit of a lone flower named Chich, who nursed him back to health as he readied 
for a bout with his captor's son. In the process of healing, Healing Guts, Chich expended all of her remaining petals and ceased to be. Grateful for her aid, Guts decided to take Chich's remains to a valley of other blooms like her after his escape. Following his eventual defeat of his captor's son and subsequently storming of the castle by his mercenary band who had been notified by Martino of the castle's location and potential spoils, Guts fulfills his resolve to lay Chich's remains in a valley of radiant flowers. During the siege of a military garrison, defended by the band of the Falcon, Guts, now 15, joins the fray alongside a mercenary band and narrowly defeats the leader named Bazuso, lowering the enemy's moral and allowing for the fort's capture. In his travel, he is attacked by several band of the Falcon mercenaries seeking to claim his reward and exact revenge for his earlier interference. He easily dispatches most of them until he is met by Griffith who quickly incapacitates the swordsman and has him brought to the band's encampment. Waking several days later, Guts is given by Griffith the option to join the band. He promptly refuses, instead opting to challenge Griffin to a duel. He speculates that the White Falcon can lay claim to him in the advent of his defeating him in combat. Harboring an interest in Guts, Griffith agrees and the two engage in battle, with the White Falcon ultimately defeating the Swordsman and enlisting him as a member of the Band of the Falcon. During the night, Corcus and a few others attempt to kill Guts only to be stopped by Casca. While Guts expresses his thanks, Casca shrugs him off. During a night raid with the Band, his horse is killed and he is nearly attacked by the enemy unit until Griffith, Judai, and Pippin come to his rescue as the rest of the band members manage to drive off the enemy into a retreat. During the celebration for their victory, as Guts sits alone, he is dragged by Pippin to join the others with Rickart and Judai welcoming his company. The next day, Guts has a chat with Judai on the nature of Griffith and the band before he is told by a member that Griffith is calling for. He finds Griffith showering and the two engage in a water fight. Once Guts notices Griffith's necklace, he explains it is a beharit that he was given by an old fortune teller. Griffith then tells Guts that he will one day attain his own kingdom and that Guts belongs to him. The band of the Falcon shortly after sets out to combat the Blue Whale Knights of Tudor. In the midst of their escape, the two mercenaries are surrounded by a swarm of Adon troops. Together, they mount a counteroffense with Guts eventually killing Adon's brother, Samson, acknowledging Casca's weakened condition. Guts decides to stay behind to buy time for her escape, telling his comrade to return to her metaphorical master, Griffith. The raider captain, in an arduous battle, is able to defeat all of the Tudor troops in the forest, single-handedly killing approximately 100 soldiers. After Guts is found and carried to a band of the Falcon's encampment, he reveals to Casca his admiration for her. Griffith 
and the rest of the band of Falcon's commitment to realizing their collective dreams. Furthermore, he reveals he doesn't feel his place is with their campfire of dreams, strongly alluding to the forthcoming departure from the band. Griffith questions if Guts truly intends to leave the band, to which Guts confirms his intent. Rattled by this affirmation, Griffith draws his sword and demands that Guts duels for his freedom, as he did three years prior. Unmoved by this antagonism, Guts draws his sword and clashes with Griffith, breaking the White Falcon's blade in a single swing and leaving his former leader kneeling in defeat. On the night of his departure, at his campfire, Guts is met by a Skull Knight who warns of an eclipse set to take place in a year's time. A torrent of madness, which a tempest of death for which the human body could never atone before, before vanishing into the night. Griffith is captured and tortured. Guts and the band eventually end up saving her. And at the Midland border region, the remnant band members come to terms with the gravity of Guts's injuries and discuss their futures. In a tender moment with Casca, Guts is urged by his lover to leave Griffith's side once again if he's truly, if he is to truly fit Griffith's interpretation of a friend. As the White Falcon described at Primrose Hall, without warning, Griffith, having mustered enough strength to commandeer his resting carriage, flees from the area, with Guts and the other band members in pursuit of him. When Griffith wrecks the carriage and lands in a lake, Guts and the other rush to his location. As soon as Guts reaches him, however, the mercenaries are all whisked away to an alternate dimension by Griffith's returned crimson Beharit. Is that weird egg neck? I believe it's that necklace that Griffith has. Numerous anthropomorphic beings welcome the band members to the nocturnal feast they refer to as the Eclipse. Much to Guts' shock, four profound entities emerge from within the dimension afterward, introducing themselves as the God Hand and revealing the purpose of the Eclipse. For Griffith to offer his comrades as sacrifice to join their divine ranks, as he has been preordained, proving to indeed be an inevitability. Griffith, having weighed his options as an invalid and reaffirmed his dream and ambition, offered his former comrades as sacrifice, therefore triggering the branding and unilateral slaughter of the band member. Guts fights relentlessly against ravenous demons, bloodlusted by the mercilessness feasting on his friends. Eventually, he is restrained by one of the demons biting down on his left arm as a bear Casca is summoned by a reborn griffin, rechristened Femto, who proceeds to rape her. Even after severing his arm and managing to free him, the struggler is immediately pinned to the ground and forced to witness his lover's violation, all while the restraining demon slowly gouges his right eye. After Femto finishes with Casca, Skull Knight from a year ago breaches the Eclipse, proceeding to retrieve Guts and Casca, evading Femto's space-distorting attacks, and escapes the temporal junction with the two unconscious sacrifice in tow. Having been brought to 
Godot's cave. Guts wakes four days later to the sight of a mentally regressed Casca. He immediately runs away to a moonlit valley only to be met by specters attracted by his brand and again by the Skull Knight who informs him of his new life as a branded inhabitant of the Interstice. The Struggler formally declares war on all demon kind hellbent on exacting revenge against his enemies as the restless spirits begin to flee soon afterwards. The Skull Knight warns that the spirits have merely found another torch in the darkness to feast on, alluding to Casca's endangerment. The two move with haste towards her location. On arriving, witness a specter surrounded Casca giving birth to her and Guts' demon child, the infant having been tainted by Femto's violation of Casca, before it fades into the astral world at sunrise. Oh, that's fucked up, bro. <laughs> After roughly a month of training back at Gadot's, Guts sets his sight on combating demon kind, brandishing a new set of armor along with a cannon-equipped artificial arm in place of severed left arm. To his delight, a wandering apostle attracted to the brand hones in on his location. When his newly forged sword breaks on the transformed being, Guts wields Gadot's long-forsaken dragon and with it eliminates the first apostate in his hunt. Realizing this dragon slayer suited him better than any normal sword ever, he retains the enormous broadsword and embarks on a war against the inhuman. And currently in the manga, finally reaching the island of Skellig, Guts and his group encounter several defense mechanisms intended to warn off trespassers from odd distorting stones to animated wicker men. Overcoming these obstacles, they are promptly met by Skellig sorcerers, in including Archmage Jed Frying, who escorts them to manor in Elfhelm. Eager to restore Casca's mind, Guts immediately requests to meet the Flower Storm Monarch, though Godfred advises the swordsman and his companions to first rest and unwind from their long journey. The next day, they are guided through Elfhelm by Godfrey and the Archmage's attendant, Donat, to the Flowerstorm Monarch's Spirit Tree Palace, where Donan transforms into and reveals herself to be the Sovereign of Elfhelm. Danon informs Guts she can likely mend Casca's regressed mind by using Corridor of Dreams. However, she requests that only Shriek and Ferris assist in doing so, voicing that Casca's fear of Guts would only impede the process. To that end, Guts leaves Casca in the care of the young sorceresses while he and the rest of the party wait out the ceremony. After the ceremony is complete and Casca is successfully restored to her former self, Guts returns to see his reawakened companion. The mere sight of the swordsman triggers Casca's memories of the eclipse, causing her to scream in horror. And yeah, so Guts's powers and abilities are superhuman physical characteristics. He is a master swordsman. He is an expert hand-to-hand -hand combatant. He has enhanced senses, supernatural willpower. He has analytical prediction, 
stealth mastery. He has an immense pain tolerance, minor multiple selves, limited air manipulation, passive probability manipulation, resistance to empathic manipulation, limited resistance to causality manipulation, and fate manipulation, non-physical interactions, soul manipulation, limited regeneration negation, pressure points, minor explosion manipulation, resistance to possession, limited resistance to poison manipulation. He also has a berserk mode, limited immortality, enhanced acrobatics, statistic amplification, resistance to fear manipulation, and immunity to pain manipulation. And he's gonna be coming into this fight with his Dragon Slayer sword, which is a giant ass sword. <laughs> his repeater crossbow. He also has a, and a dagger. And he will be wearing his Berserker armor that essentially lets him fight until the last drop of blood is dripped. So, that is Guts. And like I said, his story is quite messed up, just straight up from his birth. Yeah, he goes through it. So, yeah, both of these characters, really sad stories. Um, I guess I forgot to mention, Claire's equipment is essentially her Claymore sword, which is her big sword. And I'm also going to give her these daggers that she used in part of the story. So, just to kind of level out the playing field. But, but, with that being said, let's get into our speculation. Prepare for the battle speculation. The battle speculation is just something fun we can do to imagine how one of the battles of the thousand would play out. Because it is kind of boring to just be told who wins and who loses and why. So instead, we spice it up a little bit with our own version of how one of those fights might play out. This, of course, means nothing towards the overall result. But again, this is much more fun than just telling you how it ends. All right, so these characters are about 20 meters apart, and I do believe Guts would more than likely go first because Claymore wouldn't have any reason to attack him, right? He wouldn't think anything of it. And I believe Guts would kind of sense the kind of Yomi, I guess, like demonic energy slightly radiating from Claire. So I'm going to say Guts would definitely go first. Okay, so. Guts would more than likely start off this fight by shooting his repeater crossbow, just like, you know, letting off a bunch of shots, just trying to test out and see what this person is about, I guess. So Claire would see these, these crossbow bolts coming at her and would easily just kind of avoid them, still not pulling out her sword because she's not supposed to kill humans. So she's like, uh, uh, maybe I should get out of here but then and then the next thing she realizes is guts is already on top like guts is already above her coming down with his giant sword just trying to cut her in half because guts has zero prejudice when it comes to putting people down right so claire would easily see the sword coming and just kind of then she draws her sword and basically counters and strikes back sending guts you know flying backwards into like you know i don't know some foliage or whatever just smashing into a couple trees all right so guts would more than likely recover 
pretty quickly, especially since he is in his Berserker armor. So Guts would eventually just get up and just uh, once again try and dash in and the two end up just like clashing swords and both of them are, you know, swinging rapidly trying to just crush each other. But Claire definitely has the advantage because her sword is not as large and she is physically strong. Like she has that Yomi power, that demon thing. So it helps her kind of, you know, swing and get, get more physical strength and speed. So she's definitely like slowly, slightly getting the advantage and they're clashing swords and Guts is just getting all cut up and Guts ends up just kind of throwing a straight kick just to and hits Claire right in the chest just to kind of make some space between them and then he follows with a horizontal slash just trying to you know just kind of split her in half and Claire would easily kind of just like jump over this large sword and then and just kind of follows up with this like pumped up like she put her like yokai in her like arm and just kind of smashes guts and just like boom slams him kind of into the ground with like a massive punch now this would definitely hurt guts quite a bit he does have a high pain tolerance but you know that shit hurt he just got smashed in the face so this would actually kind of trigger his berserk mode and his like berserk armor kind of like activates and gets his helmet and everything and he's just kind of bloodlust and at this point now he is just charging in and just swinging his sword and he's actually gaining on Claire and Claire is ending up actually getting backed into the corner just all she can do is just defend as you know guts kind of just blitzes her so so Claire ends up using some of her like yokai powers right and you see her eyes change gold and she just kind of like beefs up a little bit she gets kind of like muscular this kind of even triggers guts even more because he's like i knew you were a monster and he just starts going in and he's now actually gaining and just slashing and just kind of you know causing like little cuts all over and she's defending as best she can and the yoki is definitely helping her get hit heal get hit heal so they're just like kind of going back and forth and and then the next thing guts just again once again just vertically just like kind of spins around like a top and just ends up making contact with claire and her sword and just basically just sends them flying and just you know ripping and skidding just all the way across the ground right definitely like breaking an arm or whatever so but this actually like Claire would easily just kind of snap her arm back into place but this kind of damage ends up actually triggering Claire's kind of yoki form or yokai form and so then you know she ends up kind of just like transforming into this like half monster one of her arms turns into this kind of like giant claw and the other arm kind of turns into like wings essentially so now she has this like kind of big weird monstrous form as you can kind of see in the cover art so after claire transforms she just kind of rushes in and with her you know awakened self she's much faster stronger and she just kind of blitzes guts and just ends up just essentially just ripping him to pieces and then as she goes in for the killing blow she takes her giant like claw hand and just slams it right through guts's chest killing him or guts 
because he's in his berserker armor can take all these blows and get back and like just keep going and right before Claire is about to finish him off with the claw he busts out his secret weapon his his like robo arm <laughs> the fuck is it called oh god so right before Claire is about to finish him off Guts actually uses the rock like cannon in his like you know artificial arm and he ends up just blowing off Claire's head just killing her so I think it's a pretty good place to end this match the two of these people like the two of these guys would just go back and forth forever just swinging swords at each other so I think it's a pretty good place either Claire is able to fully transform and just absolutely blitz and crush and stab his, her arm directly through Guts, killing him. Or Guts is able to, you know, get his cannon arm out and blow off Claire's head, killing her. So yeah, I think it's a really good place to end this match. And yeah, like this matchup is, is, is very interesting. I'm more so familiar with Claymore's story and all of that. Like I know the gist of Guts's, you know, story and everything. And obviously I learned more while doing my research on him. I'll definitely have to get more in depth, but I know that manga is still currently ongoing, so there is that. You might get some other kind of power-ups later on, I don't know. But again, I'm not really a berserk expert, so if I missed anything, don't at me. We could always run it back, right? But Claire is pretty cool and everything, and yeah, like, again, both sad stories, both kind of similar stories, and both kind of Berserk ends up becoming more of a supernatural anime near like after the what most people know about Berserk. So that is what it is. But with that out of the way, let's get into these results and figure out who actually wins between Guts and Claire. Taka, results please. Okay, so the winner between Guts and Claire is... Guts winning 502 of the thousand matches declares 498 so this was a coin toss like in all sense of matter like no ifs ands or buts they're freaking like literally four matches away from each other so this is probably the closest matchup that we've had I think this one's actually even just slightly closer than our bonus episode so, with that being said, let's break down these stats and see how both of these characters kind of stack up to each other. Alright, so, right off the bat, Claire has the advantage in speed, strength, and they are actually tied when it comes to durability. Damage-wise, Claire also has the advantage. Guts has the advantage when it comes to range, fighting intelligence, and fighting skill. They are even in stamina, Claire has the advantage in perception, and Guts has the advantage when it comes to hack. And yeah, so, Guts, our winner between the Battle of the Big Swords. I'm actually surprised, I thought Claire would have won that one outright, but this is a coin toss, right? If we ran this back, we, you know, it could be the opposite. Claire winning 502 times to Guts's, you know, 98. So, but yeah, so with that being said, I think this is a good place to end the first episode of Season 2 of Senjo World.
and I think we went in with pretty bang like look how close this matchup was this was this was great so and this podcast is part of the Dynamite Network so make sure you check out the other shows on the network the Dynamic Duel Podcast Marvel versus DC Marvel versus DC where they take a Marvel character pit them against a DC character the Max Destruction Podcast where they take action movie characters pit them against each other in the same fashion that we do and also make sure you check out the newest show on the network console combat and they take two video game characters and pit them against each other to see who would actually win just like my show so if you enjoy what i do and if you like marvel or dc if you like action movies if you like video games we got a show for you. So make sure you check out those shows on the Dynamite Network. And so and make sure you check out the Senjo World social medias at Senjo World Pod on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. And I am slowly releasing the season one episodes onto YouTube if you prefer to use YouTube to listen to podcasts. So I'm gonna be on there more so. So Yeah, I guess with that all out of the way, let's get the hell out of here, and I will see everybody next week. Sayonara.